0: We're in the book of John, chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, loves it, loses it, and whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled.
1: We've been looking at questions that bother Christians, doubts, things that maybe trouble us in our faith, and I'd like to continue looking at that. I I hope that those who are completely skeptical will get something from this, but my main aim is to look at those and encourage those who are uh, Christians, who have come to a commitment in the faith, and yet maybe have issues with questions like this one. Why is Jesus the only way to peace with God? You ever wonder about that? Ever been asked about that? I certainly have, and I've certainly wondered about that. When I think of this question, my, scene, my, my mind rather goes back to a scene which may not seem related at first, but I, I think you'll see as I progress that it is. It goes back to a scene of a young woman. She was just a beautiful young woman, maybe in her 20s, sitting in a hospital room. She was sitting on the edge of the bed. Her face was wet with perspiration. She was tired, exhausted. She had just given birth to a baby. And she was holding the baby in her hands and her husband stood next to her. Both her husband and her were HIV positive and likely so was the baby. And that scene just haunts me, but there's a good news. The good news was that there was a cocktail of drugs which could be given to those who had this kind of HIV positivity and it would control the disease. It could be uh, managed as long as they were able to take this cocktail of drugs. Now, here's the interesting thing. This cocktail of drugs was developed in the West, but it worked for people everywhere. It worked for people in India and Europe and Africa and Japan, in the U.S., it worked everywhere. And the reason it worked for everyone is very simple, isn't it? Because we're all human. We share that among us. We have the same physiology. And with this illness, everybody was experiencing exactly the same problem. And so it made all the sense in the world for the same solution to apply to everyone. I'd like you to keep that in mind as we deal with this problem of Jesus as the only Savior. See, no one has a problem with a drug that treats an illness and treats everyone on the whole planet who has that illness. But when we come to spiritual issues, we think it's, well, arrogant or maybe even ignorant or disrespectful of other cultures to think that Jesus is the only way to have peace with our Creator. So I'd like to look at that and just start with two important truths that we Christians rest on. And these explain why we believe that there's only one Savior. And the first truth is that all people have the same spiritual problem. And the second is that the Creator, the Creator of all people, has actually revealed Himself. And then that leads to really our text and Jesus' promise that his death is for all people everywhere. So let me begin then with this simple statement that all humans have the same problem. All of us do. And the problem is that we're at odds with our creator. We're not at peace with our creator. That's the truth that the Bible proclaims. But who is this creator? people will say, you know, we don't even agree on who God is. How can you say that we should agree on whether or not we have a problem with him? Different people have different views. Is God angry with us because we've misused his creation, because we've misused each other? Are we going to be accountable to him? Is that what the issue is? is? Is God, on the other hand, just, you know, off somewhere? He created the world and he's gone. He doesn't really care what we do. So it's irrelevant to even have this conversation and I think that's true with a lot of people. They don't even wanna talk about an issue like this. Other people, some of them, uh, adherents of other religions will say, you know, God will just forgive us. He's more like an indulgent parent. Here, here's some cotton candy, go play, don't worry about it. So if we don't actually know what God is like, if we don't actually know who God is, it makes no sense to even ask this question about how do I make peace with God? What's the way back to God? Or to use our own language as Christians, what's the way to have a personal relationship with God? Someone will say, all we have is guesses, right, about God. And Actually, we would agree as Christians because that's what Jesus said. I, this may surprise you, but all we are left with about God is guesses. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27, Jesus said, no one knows the Father. That's the first part of an important sentence, but he said, no one knows the Father. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, John explains it like this, no one has ever seen God. And it says that in several other places in the epistles, essentially it's saying is no one really knows God. That's the condition of humanity. No one knows God. So, the skeptic or the doubter says, right, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You, know, you have your idea about God, I have my idea about God, let's just leave it like that. Why do you insist that we can get further? And the skeptic may even quote this story. You've probably heard this parable, uh, which probably originated in India, the parable about the blind men and the elephant. So the parable says that there was this, these, these uh, blind men who were examining an elephant. They had no idea what it was. They'd never seen an elephant. And one of them grabbed the, the, the tail and said, ah, an elephant is like a rope. And another one grabbed the leg of the elephant and said, ah, oh, the elephant is like the trunk of a tree. And Another one went and pushed on the stomach and said, Oh, elephant is like a wall. And there was a, a wise man who was smiling at them and he saw the whole thing. And he says, why are you arguing among yourselves? Don't you see that you're all right? Because what you're really feeling with your hands is an elephant, and you're looking at different aspects of that elephant. And so our neighbors will say, you know, that's what God is like. We're all blind, and we're groping after God. No one knows who God is like, and we each have our own conception of God because we all have some little piece of God that we're experiencing. And so they'll say, if we're wise, if we're kind, we'll just say, you know, everyone has their own idea of God, and they're all finding God in their own way. And they all come to peace with God in whatever way they know him. Now, this parable, though, raises an interesting question, and it's worth thinking about. The only reason all the answers of the blind men make sense is because there's an elephant right? That's the only way you can coherently understand what all the blind men are saying. And there's a wise man who can stand back and realize that there's an elephant. He sees the whole picture. So the question then arises, is there anyone, any way rather, to stand back and see the whole truth about God? Yeah, people are seeing bits and pieces of God here and there. But is there any way to stand back and get the wide view? Is there, in fact, someone like this wise man who can smile and tell us that there's an elephant there? In other words, is there a wise man who can tell us the truth about God? That's an important question because guesses, yeah, they could maybe be partially true. But it's possible they're all wrong right? Haven't you ever guessed wrong in your life? And this is an important issue. It has to do with God, our creator himself. Everyone's guesses could be wrong. So the question is, is there someone like this wise man in the parable who really knows? And so that brings us to the second truth that we have to keep in mind. If we're going to understand, or even explain, but understand ourselves why Jesus is the only way, first We have this common problem. We're at odds with God, and we don't know God. And the second truth is this, that Jesus is the one revelation of the creator for all humanity. Of course, we know that. We sing about that. We celebrate it at Christmas. But it's a key fact that is at the foundation of our understanding about this problematic question. You see, the the truth is this. Who is the wise man? Well, the truth is there's only one who really knows who God is. You know who that is? God. I mean, God knows who God is. No one else can really even comprehend God or make a true statement about God without all kinds of exceptions. And the only way we can know who God is is if God tells us. He has to be self-revealing. I don't know who you are. I could make guesses about you. And you don't know who I am unless I tell you about myself. I remember talking to this woman. She was an older woman in a hospital having a hard time. Her husband had left her some years earlier. Her children were gone. And she was depressed and lonely. And, you know, as sometimes happens at those times, she was thinking back. And she says, you don't know something about me. I said, what's that? You know, I used to be beautiful once. You were. she says, yeah, I was a model. Really? Yes. I used to travel all over. They used to photograph me. They used to love my image. Now, I would never have known that unless you revealed it to me. And that's what's true about us humans. And if it's true about us, it's about you and me, imagine how much truer that is of the Lord God himself. How can we possibly really know God unless he reveals himself, unless he tells us about himself. And has he done that? And the claim of our faith, the, the central rock of our faith is that God has revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we call Jesus God incarnate, God in the flesh. So John 1.18, I quoted the beginning of this before. Here's what it says. No one has seen God at any time. So that's what we said earlier, no one really knows God. But here's the second part. But the only begotten God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or made him known. Only God knows God, and God has explained himself, has revealed himself. Now, I admit this is really hard to accept. Uh, The more you think about it, the more you realize this is not the easy thing. You don't just say, oh yeah, sure, why not? I think if we say that, we really don't understand what a gigantic claim this is, that the God who made the whole universe, every intricate part of it, has entered into history, has entered into flesh and bones and was born in a little country called Israel. And yet that's precisely what Jesus said. He claimed that he was deity incarnate. Now, today, I don't have time to go into where he made this claim. I just want to point you, if you're interested in looking uh, at this a little bit more, in spring of 2017, I spent a little bit of time on this, and it's on the website, gracefortheway.org. And if you look under resources and sermons, it's uh, the series called Who is Jesus? And of course, there's many other places on the web that'll help to answer this question also. But Jesus did claim to be deity incarnate. And it's interesting that he made these statements 500 years after Confucius, You know, 500 years after Buddha. He said, nope, they didn't know God. They didn't know what the ultimate reality was. They didn't know where everything came from. But I know. It's said to his disciples in John 14, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as we saw last week, briefly, his claim was credible because he rose from the dead. No one else did. In fact, no one else even said their mission was to die as a ransom for sinners, but no one else even was able to conquer death and then offer life to all of us. But Jesus did. So Jesus is God in person. And he's saying, I know God. Well, because I am God. I can tell you who God is because I am God and I know my own nature. So if you have to think about that parable, he sees us groping in the dark, you know, here's a leg, here's a rope, here's a stomach, and he's the wise man who sees everything because he knows himself. So we're all left with guesses, and I'm talking about all of humanity, I don't care what country, what culture—we're all left with guesses, and and the Bible even talks about some of the guesses we have. You know, some people think uh, God is harsh, a hard taskmaster who asks and demands what He has no right to demand of us. Others have sort of intriguing views of God. Many people, especially in the sciences, say, "Yeah, God is a mathematical mind." Others have views that to me at least, are completely baffling and unhelpful. God is, I quote, a circle whose circumference is nowhere and whose center is everywhere. Doesn't help me at all. We have all these guesses about God. No one really knows because we're groping in the dark, but Jesus is the revelation of the creator to us in person. And so we see him. What's God like? Well, Jesus. Hebrews 1 says he bore the exact imprint of the nature of God. So those are the two facts. You know, we all have a problem. It's a common problem, which is that we're at odds with our Creator. All of us are. And the second fact, the second truth is that the Creator has revealed Himself in person in Jesus. Our faith is founded on those things. The Gospel is founded on those two truths. So if you take those together, we can make sense of the claim that Jesus is the Savior of all. Of course, if you reject those claims, obviously you'll have a problem with saying that Jesus is the Savior of all. But we're trying to explain within the framework of the Christian faith why that claim is central to our gospel and to the Christian faith. So with that, let's turn to our text. Uh, John chapter 12, uh, in verse 20 and 21, it says the Greeks came with a request. Greeks or Gentiles, you might say, the non-Jews. And they came to the disciples, uh, to Philip, with a request. Can we please speak with Jesus? They want some FaceTime with Jesus. And the question is, what is Jesus for them? You know, the, the disciples are wondering... I know he's for israel but is he for them they thought in fact that jesus was the king of israel the promised redeemer of israel there's many many examples of that you'll see in the gospels that, you know how they shoo away gentiles at certain times even after the resurrection in acts chapter 1 verse 6 they ask jesus a question they say will you now restore the kingdom of israel in other words Will you now be our king? The Davidic kingdom, is that going to be restored now? They, they thought the Messiah, Jesus, was for them. This is our savior. And so they were a little perplexed when, the, when these Gentiles came to them. Verse 22 seems to indicate they were conferring with each other. You know, Philip goes to Andrew and they talk about it. And finally, they take the issue to Jesus. Interestingly, this passage doesn't reveal if Jesus actually spoke to the Gentiles, but what he does say, I think, must have blown the disciples' minds. So let me just read what he says. I'm going to read verse 31 through 32. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. I think this still blows people's minds, actually. So Jesus is about to die. This is just uh, you know, briefly, you know, this is the last hours before his death, the last days before his death, and he knows what his mission is. In verse 27, in fact, he says in his prayer, Now my soul has become troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this purpose I came to this hour. In verse 23, he says, this is my glorification. Glorification means when the true meaning of why he came and who he was will be revealed, will shine out in glory. Everybody will see it. And the true meaning is that he came as a ransom for sinners. Everything is going to be revealed now, he's saying. And so in The verses I read, he says, now is the judgment on the world, on the whole world. All humanity is going to be judged on the basis of what is about to happen. The cross of Jesus Christ is the basis on which every human being in every culture is going to be judged. Why is that? Because here, all the grace of God was being poured out. All the grace of God was being poured out. God here was giving himself for our salvation. I don't even know how to say this, but here was God saying, will you accept this cure? Those who say no, judge themselves already. That's what John says in chapter 3. If someone says, well, isn't there some other way? Isn't there something else God can do? The answer is, no, there isn't anything else because here... God has poured himself out, himself out in Christ Jesus. He's given himself to us. What more is there for God himself to give to us? And so the cross of Jesus is the salvation for all people. That's what he says then in verse 32, right? And I, if I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men, all people, everywhere to myself. It's a wide reach. He says, I'm doing this for all humanity. Does this make sense then? Let's just put things together. Uh, There is one creator of all humanity. There's one creator. I know people have many guesses. You say, why do people have different views of God? Because we do have many guesses. Actually, some guesses are pretty good. Incomplete, but they're pretty good. Some guesses are way off, but they're just guesses. And we want the whole truth. We're always after truth. We want to know what is actually going on. That's true when we study nature, isn't it? And if you're teaching your children, if they're going to school and they're studying nature, you want to know why things are the way they are. That's the way science works. You don't want just guesses about what's happening. You might start with a guess, but you want to continue till you get to the get insight into what's really happening. You know, in the beginning of the uh, 20th century, one of the most celebrated astronomers of the world turned his telescope to Mars and he saw their little lines, an intricate array of lines. And he was wondering, what are they?" they? Some of them were very straight and they seemed to go from north to south. And he said, I know exactly what's happening. You know, Mars is this arid, dry planet But on the poles, there's ice, he said. And when the ice melted, there was water. And so some ancient civilization had made this intricate canal system on Mars to take the water from the poles to the equator and elsewhere. It was a beautiful, romantic story about the the last efforts of a dying civilization. And it was completely false. The reason was because his telescope wasn't good enough as Uh, better telescopes were developed and looked at Mars, there was no canals there at all. And Of course, now when we send rovers there, we see there's nothing like it. It was his guess, and it was completely wrong. We want to know the truth, and so we build better instruments. We do everything we can to get at the truth of what nature is doing. Well, in the same way, just as we seek to understand nature, so we seek to understand nature's God. What is God like? Nature speaks about its God. Isn't that what Psalm 19 says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God? What does it say? What does nature say? What does revelation say? Who is this God? And the claims of Christ convince us that he was the full revelation of God. So that's the first thing, you know, that there is one creator who rules over all creatures. And then all humanity has the same spiritual problem that we're at odds with this creator. Now, if everyone had different spiritual needs, let's say, then I think it would make sense to have different saviors, right? Different ways to satisfy the needs that we have. But the assertion at the very heart of the gospel is that we all have the same need. We've alienated ourselves from God, our creator. It's not like, People from different cultures liking different music or liking different food. People think it's the same way. That's why they have problems with our claim that Jesus is the only way. They put it in the category of people who like different foods. You choose whatever you like. You know, I I remember talking to this group of men from India who were given a scholarship to go to Germany for a conference. It was a wonderful opportunity for these men who were quite poor from a rural area and they got to go to Germany for this conference. And they uh, were put up in a house. I don't know how many there were, seven or eight of them. They're living in this house. Uh, And after a day or two, they realized that they hated German food. Some Germans have told me they hate German food. So anyway, these Indians said they hated German food. And so one of them, if you can imagine, having come all this way, all this money being spent to bring him to Germany, volunteered to skip all the conference, stay at home, and cook some nice, savory curries for everybody else so they could be happy. You know, that's what they needed, they said. You know, to to do anything, to live life, to enjoy Germany, we need to have some good Indian food. And some people think our spiritual needs are in the same way. They're just culturally located. Whatever one culture wants is unlike what another culture wants. But the Bible says our spiritual needs are identical. We've sinned against God. We're not at peace with our creator. We're like that poor woman with a baby, uh, all of them suffering from HIV, looking for a medicine which is effective for all humans. In the same way, we need a spiritual solution, and the one that is Useful for one is useful for all, because we all have the same problem. We need the cross of Christ. Just like we need truth for our minds, and so we search for it in science or philosophy. Just like we need oxygen and water for our bodies, because all our bodies are the same, we all share our humanity in the same way, we need a savior for our souls. We need God to reveal himself. You know, I I look at our society, and I'm sure you're as troubled as I am. It seems like it's fragmenting more and more and more. People who believe in God are noticing this. People who don't believe in God are noticing this. And there's a great worry that everything will just sort of fall apart. We're fragmenting, of course, by politics, but now more and more by race, by color, by sexuality. And, And one group is against the other. In fact, the philosophy that's being spread abroad says that to even speak of something common, something that applies to all humanity, is wrong. But Christ Jesus binds us all together. During this COVID epidemic, I think we've been reminded of our commonality. It doesn't really matter what color, what race, what sexuality, we're all affected by this COVID. Because we have, are all human beings. Everyone is experiencing problems. Well, economics, right? Our jobs, even the ability to buy things or sell things is, is affected by this. Our, our relations, uh, strife in the home, emotional loneliness and depression, and of course the physical effects of the disease itself for those who are affected or those who are trying hard to avoid it. And friends, have you noticed then that the commonality is also noticed by the way we're being treated? The medicines which help those who have this disease are universal. It doesn't matter where they were developed or for which race or which color or which sexuality they were tested for. They're for all humanity because we share that with each other. And the same thing with the vaccines that are developed. They emphasize our commonness in being human beings. We have a common physiology. We're all human, so there's common remedies. It just makes sense. Because we're all human, it makes sense to have the common remedy for all of us. And in the same way, friends, in the same way, Christ binds people from every culture and race together into one. We have the same problem, and we have the same solution, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're at odds with our Creator, and in Christ the Creator pays the price to bring us to peace with Him. If there's a common problem, it makes sense to have a common solution. And so in our text, verse 32: if I am lifted up from the earth, if my life is given as a sacrifice for the sins of people, I will draw all people to myself, every tribe, every culture, every language, every color. Up till now, they've been groping after God. They've been hungry to know who God is. And they don't. But in Christ, they'll find forgiveness and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a Western faith, not a Middle Eastern faith, not an Eastern faith. This is the creator of heaven and earth offering peace to all of us. You know, we, we eat different foods. We speak different languages. We look different. But all these differences are superficial. That's what the gospel com- uh, proclaims. In Christ, we are bound together because we are all saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where you find a Christian, you find someone who is bound to you by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Colossians 3.11 says, here in Christ, there is no Greek or, or Jew, uh, Gentile or Jew, the, it, it's erased. Those are superficial. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. Class distinctions are erased. But Christ is all and in all. Isn't that wonderful? Economics don't matter. The job doesn't matter. Your race doesn't matter. Your class, your situation in society, your language, none of it matters because all of that becomes superficial, secondary, all that matters is that there's one Lord, one baptism, one God, one salvation. So in Matthew 28, at the end, you notice how Jesus laid claim to all the nations. He said, go into all the nations, make disciples of them, baptize them in my name. And then he said, teach them. And he's talking about every culture. Teach them to observe what I have commanded. Jesus is the Savior to all. And friends, that's not something that should be troubling. That's good news. That's medicine for our souls. Amen. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, God, Creator, King, we thank you that your reach is this wide. It reached across oceans and cultures. It broke barriers that even those early Christians imagined were unbreakable. And it brought the good news of your peace to all of us and bound us together in Christ. We praise you for that, Lord. We pray for any who are troubled by this, Lord. We pray that this, this issue of the, of the uniqueness of Christ and salvation in him would become not a troubling issue, but something that brings warmth and joy as good news always does. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It staggers the imagination to think that the creator of the whole of the universe loves you. And he revealed himself in Christ, and he gave himself just to call you his friend, just to make peace. So I pray that May God bind us together in love as the only thing that matters to us is that we are loved by the Lord God who revealed himself in Christ Jesus. Amen.